to the second episode of the Crossover Connections. Uh, I am your host, Earl. I am joined this week by Harrison. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Earl. Um, so, uh, attempt number two, I think, for people who don't listen on here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we had this huge opening. I w- it was epic. and co- It had a bunch of praises. I piped from Super Friends and some other stuff. I do have Super Friends. Mm-hmm. But, yes, uh, we figured out like, there was an audio issue. Good thing we caught it early on. So, we're just going to kind of breeze through the introduction segment here. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, let's, let's just kind of get to it. Um, this week, uh, Harrison is joining me to talk about 2001's novel, Ready Player One by Ernest Keeve. Uh, part of the reason we picked this is because there is a movie for Ready Player One due out in March of this year by Steven Spielberg, which makes me super excited. But it was also, and again, just jumping ahead a bit, it's, I wanted to pick something that's kind of similar, but kind of the polar opposite of what we talked about in the first episode, which is Captain and the Game Master, which is very curious, a crossover. Like Captain N starred a bunch of characters from NES games. And I feel like Ready Player One is kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum in that it has a bunch of properties, but it may not necessarily be a crossover in a traditional sense. And that's what we're here to figure out. But before we get to that, let's talk about Ready Player One. And let's begin with our own introduction to the property, to the book. Uh, Harrison, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, my, my general introduction to the book was, um, it came about, and, and I, I, I wouldn't even mention the author's name, Ernest Cleve, whatever, I was like, wait, is that the name? And I have the book next to me, it's actually Ernest Klein, sorry if that oh. was on your notes, yeah, Klein, but, um, I, uh, my introduction to the book was actually when they announced, um, Spielberg to be the director of the movie in, I think it was back in, like, March of 2015, and that was my first introduction of, like, what this book was about, and I was like, what is this, whatever, and, you know... I was, like, read the synopsis, and I'm like, okay, because everyone's talking about, oh, it's, like, Willy Wonka meets the Matrix. I'm like, okay, I'm listening, going on, and, you know, Spielberg hasn't done a sci-fi movie, it seemed like, in years, so I'm like, okay, I'm game for this. And then, later that year, I bought the book, I read it, and without basically kind of going into the whole depths of the internet of what they thought of the book and its whole narrative and how it's put together and whether it's quality or not, is that I just left thinking it was fine, harmless. I mean, it was just, again, it just, the only thing I could get from it is, like, you have this white male character going through on this power fantasy, and it's reference, 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 80s, 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 here's Spielberg, Spielberg. And that's all I got from it. And um, and I'll echo, basically, there are people out there, like you said, and we talked on here, there are people who either want to recommend this book for people to read or you have one end who want to recommend it to hate read just to say how bad it is. And and then just to kind of echo my points of, on the lost audio that we had on here is that <laughs> even things in like media or even pop culture or in the sense film Twitter, and this goes for a lot of movies I like, is that we either have people when the talk about a movie, it's the worst thing ever or the best thing ever. And a prime example of this was Star Wars The Last Jedi. You had people who thought it was worse as the prequels, and you had people who thought it was the best Star Wars movie out there. Meanwhile, I'm in the middle, and I know saying the term middle, and especially in these hard political times, and I don't like the term middle when you look at things like, oh, call a spade a spade, but I digress, is that I thought The Last Jedi was fine. It was a challenging Star Wars movie. And in the case of Ready Player One, I was like, it's fine, it's harmless, I know it can be dis- it's disposable pulp, as I call it. And I'm here just to say, 
Yes, I'm excited for the movie because I, I will say right now, and this will get into the discussion far on, is that I think the main reason why I'm really excited for it to see it is because it's Steven Spielberg doing a movie that is essentially a toy box of things that he inspired, even though he's not putting his own references to movies aside from the DeLorean in it. So that is my story with Ready Player One. <laughs> uh, before I give my story, just uh, you mentioned something that I'm not a fan of this book, and I won't hide that fact, but one thing I dislike about the narrative around this book are people will sometimes just post excerpts from the book mm. online and be like, oh, look how terrible this writing is. And I get it. I understand that like, people dissect this book and you want to tear it down. But I do think sometimes taking stuff out of context to just prove that like any one scene or any one page can be badly written if you take it out of the context around it. And I think that is a very disingenuous argument to make with any property. It's like, oh, you get this thing isolated. Isn't this terrible? Now this is reflective of the whole product. There are ways to discuss why this isn't a great book without being dishonest with people about it. Oh, yeah, and I I, I know, and I get th- that popped up a lot between the first trailer we saw up at uh, Comic-Con and, of course, the second trailer we saw back in December. It just seemed like a continued wave of people like, look at how bad Ernest Klein's writing is, and then, of course, people would post how he has really crappy poetry about how wanting to have... I forgot what the, the the context of the poetry was, but it was very kind of sexist or something like that. But I read it, I was like, oh, that's kind of bad. But again, that was early work where I realized, I hope somebody learned from that. So, but no, like you said, things like that can be very disingenuous. But also it's like, yeah, it's not to tell like, hey, don't, it's not to say like, oh, don't say bad things about this book. It's just have some merit to the discussion of it aside from look on page 50, like 15 right here. Look how, look at all these references and stuff. I'm like... Yeah, I get that's yeah. not good, but it's like, what's the overall arc of it? I mean, I, I, I've I, read stuff, I've listened to people dissecting the book, saying how much either they like it, or they just despise it. And it's kind of fascinating, though, to kind of look at the back of these um, praises for the book in 2011, because the world has changed, especially when it comes to pop culture and online culture since then. You know, um, like, I'll read this off. Delightful. The grown-ups Harry Potter. That's what the Huffington Post said. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, incredibly entertaining. A geek fantasia. Austin American statesman. Uh, a most excellent ride. Klein stuffs his novel with cornucopia of pop culture and as a wink to the reader from Boston Globe. And, you know, things have kind of changed from them. I remember the AV Club wrote a glowing review about this, and now it seems like every month or so there's always something tearing it down, like... Why do we need this? And but and 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 to kind of get to that point, and at some point we will talk about this book in its own. I, I mean, it's very hard to talk about it outside of like the impact it's made. But yeah, I I find that pop culture in this day and age is comes in waves. People love something, or people hate something, or people are indifferent, and like it's like you have to be swept up in that wave. Like I like I said again, I make no bones about it. I dislike Ready Player One. No, that's fine. But. You know. But you won't actually see me talking about it that often because it doesn't, like, there's nothing new I'm going to add to the conversation that I haven't said already. But it's like people, like, yeah, like you said, this book was huge. This book is massive. Like, it was licensed, it was, uh, adapt, not licensed, it was, um, I forget what you, the term for when you purchase a book for, uh, it was, into a movie. uh, it was like, I think even before it was published, I think they offered, like, yeah. they signed for the deal and Warner Brothers got the, they won the rights. 
yeah, that's like it was such a high property that it was auctioned off before it be released because people knew what it was, and it was it's a best selling book. Like there's no there's no if ands about buts about it. This was a book that resonated with a huge population. Um, I have coworkers who talk about this book all the time and talk about how amazing it is. There are a ton of people who are excited to see the movie, and I'm not gonna take that away from them. Uh, I'm just saying that the online the online discussion, especially once the movie was announced and stuff started to come out, has kind of morphed into like everybody hated this book, and that's not true. I I don't I don't want to perpetrate that narrative. Oh, that said, yeah, uh, you're no no, and you're right. It's like you said, like I don't want to take person's enjoyment out of it, something like that. It's um, and this goes for us when we play games, for instance. Like we'll we'll have somebody who actually likes a one game even if it's like an average reviewed score like scoring game and then you just have this contingent of people who just like just constantly dogpile on it and I, I forgot there's this little little cartoon that people will have somebody closing somebody's mouths whatever saying like let people enjoy things yeah yeah and and, and i get that um, i mean like i said i'm a huge fan of bad movies mm-hmm. i literally go out of my way sometimes to find a movie with a zero percent on Rotten tomatoes to watch that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to enjoy it, but I mean I give everything an option, a chance, and I think a lot of people should. I I'm going to again jump ahead. Don't like this book. I've said it enough times. I'm not going to recommend it at the end, but I, I I do think that there is some merit in checking it out. And to kind of draw back into like the coworkers discussion, um, my introduction to this book, um, again I am a huge pop culture nerd. I'm a huge. I call my. I can consider myself a consumer. I mm-hmm. consume entertainment. I consume books. I consume comic books. I consume video games. I consume movies. I consume TV. I consume some music. I'm not a huge music connoisseur. Same here. I, and, I, 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 and I say consume because I take it in in large portions. Like I, I may not be like I may not see everything or might not pay everything, but I have some knowledge of most things out there because I enjoy knowing about it. Um, so for me, this book a few years ago was just a hot thing. So of course, everybody came up to me like, oh, Earl, have you read this? Earl, you need to check this out. Earl, this is totally the book for you. Earl, you're going to love this. So I go into this book with the expectations that it's going to be, give me a second. But yes, I go into this book with the expectations that, 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 that were established by other people. And Sometimes it's a it's a bad habit. It happens though. People set expectations for you that sometimes it's really impossible things to live up to. And this is one of those cases because I think everybody's like I'm going to have these all these pop cultural references, and I do like a good pop cultural reference. But pop cultural references do there's two major things that it does to me if they're handled poorly, like they are in this book, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. One. Uh, it, it takes me out of the experience. It, it takes me out of like, oh, okay, so, yeah, like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Or was this, th- like, a, an example of it, um, not in this is, what am I thinking of? Parody Pixels. movies? Oh, well, parody, what I'm thinking of Pixels. Pixels is a bad movie to begin with. Yeah. But pi- Pixels is one of those movies that the whole conceit is that, like, this arcade, the arcades in, like, the 1980s went up into space, and that's what, and then you think about it, it's like, wait. Okay, Space Invaders, Pac-Man, but like Super Mario Brothers was after that. That doesn't make sense, and it takes you out of the movie because it's like something that's established in a world, real world setting. Um, so yeah, it takes you out of that. Um, like you, you were saying on our original recording, Big Bang Theory is another show that's very similar to that. Yeah, I like, I got offered 
I got offered that many times by people about a uh, friend, like friends of a friend, and I was like, and I knew of it, and I was like, I want to check this show out. I was like, I know, I knew I was gonna like it, but after I saw it, I was like, oh god. I, and I, I think even somebody who well, and it's not just them. And I think you mentioned something about how as bad as Big Bang Theory can be on its surface, you honestly do believe the author, like Ernest Klein, he actually knows and cares for yeah. the stuff that's behind this stuff. Yeah, he cares for the source material. And that is shown. Like, it's not... Like, uh, it's... I mean, to use a school example, you can tell the difference between somebody who just kind of looked at an encyclopedia to get do their research and somebody who actually dove into, like, the the material to understand it and to write about it. There's a way that you digest and regurgitate information that's different if you just, like, Wikipedia it and make, oh, yeah, like, Space Invader was a game in 1977 and you did this, this, and that. Mm-hmm. Like, there is, like, these, the games and the things that are referenced are referenced with love and they're referenced with care. It's not just like, oh, like, this is a popular scene from this movie. Let me just reference this quote. It's like, it's contextualized in a way that makes sense for a lot of these things. So as somebody who has a understanding of these properties and a real love for it. But that said, just because you have a love for something does not necessarily mean that you need to incorporate it into everything. Exactly. Uh, it's like, um, and I think an original recording that we did is that one thing that right, like most par- and this kind of goes for parody movies when it comes to things when you reference things. Well, not just parody movies, but a line of reference. You know, keyword there is that from the 90s when I looked at like kids movies or even non-Disney animated movies they would find ways to just shoehorn in these pop culture references that really either date the movie or they just have no part in it and I don't know like uh, what was it you mentioned the movie Shrek for instance that, that, that was yeah. one that was uh, yeah, some Shrek, of its reference you watch it in 2018 Compared to when it's in, tw- in when it released in two thousand four, like a lot of the references, a lot of those jokes are so of that time period that it's so like for a lot of people, especially kids. If you show kids, it's a kids movie. If you show kids in two thousand eighteen Shrek, which is not even twenty years old, a lot of that stuff would go over their head and not go over their heads and like, oh, it's a dirty joke or it's an adult joke. It's like this is a reference that kids are gonna get because it had you have to be a certain age in that year to understand this reference to begin with. One reference in particular though is that and this was very popular during the, you know, late 90s and early aughts was referencing the Matrix. There's at least two things in that movie that do that too. So and and after that I was like, wow, this got old quick. Yeah, it it gets oh, one. Okay, just to kind of, you know, back up for a second. One that was old then, because The Matrix was released in, what, 1999? Yes. So you're talking about a film that came out four or five years after that, and everybody referenced The Matrix. Everybody did it. And it wasn't even like they referenced it well. Like, they didn't do the wire works. Everybody did the freeze frame, pan around scene. And every, it's always the same ones. There's somebody up in the air with their egg up, like, doing a karate kick. Or the, clo- the clothing as well, which every, yes. everybody, I remember when people wouldn't watch that movie, and you know, and... I have a friend of mine who's afraid to go back and watch The Matrix because he feels like he'll hate it now because it feels like it just doesn't hold up. But, I mean, to me, I watched it recently. It's it's, it's still good, but I always found it kind of a little bit overrated in terms of, like, the sci-fi. But that's beside the point, is that people thought the clothing in that movie would be like, oh, this would be timeless. And like, But when you look back at Star Wars, just the clothing and stuff like that, it does look like they just walked out of a hot topic. Yeah, yeah, and part of the reason is that it, it created that trend... But that trend died down because it started it. It's it's like watching like, uh, like for instance, um, 
<laughs> okay, we'll talk about this another time. But yes. yeah, there's a lot of, this, this is very we're, fascinating. To yeah, me. we're we're, we're going off that, we're going off the rails. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting to see something that started something and kind of like it in, after a time period where it kind of becomes old and passe. But the other thing that pop culture references does, which again kind of goes back to the Shrek example and the Matrix, is that it does data property. It does data. It's like this like you don't get Matrix references in movies anymore because. Nobody's going to do it twenty years later, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or you know, like, or you have to, like um, a, a one of the famous ones is like, you know, Luke, I am your father. That was referenced ad nauseum, but you don't see people do it anymore because there's a new generation of Star Wars fans, there's a new generation of Star Wars films. So yes, uh, and this and this uh, this is very much dated in the sense that it assumes that pop culture ended in like nineteen ninety, like. It not even ended in 1990. Pop culture only existed in 1980 to 1990 mm-hmm. in this book's universe because the author of the book and of the the creator of the game just did not absorb any type of pop culture after that. Like everything here is a reference to an 80s video game, an 80s band, an mm-hmm. 80s movie, an 80s TV show, and it's like this. The book I think I believe takes place in what 2044. And to assume yep. that, like, literally almost 50 years past and nothing was part of his life that he could incorporate into this game, it's just Yeah, that's a main criticism I think I've seen from people, like, and when you see, like, the new trailer, like, what was it, and that's even the opposite of it, like, when you see in the latest trailer, you'll see, you know, Battletoads, and you'll see Tracer from Overwatch, and people will be like, wait a minute, isn't that supposed to be referenced from, like, the stuff from the 80s only? And then some people will kind of stretch the truth because there's a scene about Monty Python's and the Holy Grail in the book, and people will get in the lane like, wait, wasn't that more popularized in the 80s, 70s and then just kind of got yeah. more popular in the 80s? But I'm like, it's that's different. I don't know. So Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I think some of that, it could also be like, culturally, it could be because like, this takes place in America, it could be like, maybe my Monty python took off in the not 80s in the states because it's like, like for an example of a real world doctor who's a 50 some odd year franchise but it's only been in the last like 15 years or so that's taken off in the states like, mm-hmm. yeah people knew about it like, if you were an uber nerd you were a doctor who fan but like really it's taken off in like the last 10 years mm-hmm. as something that americans know and embrace yeah but, but um <laughs> yeah the ready player one as a book is a divisive one and the, like you said, the references and point on there when you've seen the book and how it does. And like you said, Ernest Klein has a passion for things like this and these properties. It's just a matter of how it's executed is what gets everybody talking. Yes. And, and with that said, I guess we can talk about the book itself. So just as a quick, um, you know, setup, um, this is still in word for word from Wikipedia. <laughs> Ready Player One, set in dystopian 2044, follows protagonist Wade Watts on his search for an Easter egg, which is the literal thing he's trying to find, in a virtual reality game called The Oasis. The discovery of which will lead him to inherit a fortune in a world wrecked by an, an energy crisis. The world and characters rooted in this book are numerous, but there's a, you know, <laughs> okay, this is me, the, uh, but, you know, just to kind of give an idea of what's referenced in here, we have Ghostbusters, Robotron, Dungeons and Dragons, Burger Time, Star Wars, The Muppets, The X-Men, um, I believe, what else is there? There's Rush, there's Pac-Man, there's Zork, 
there's uh black there's black tiger there's jade runner there's war games like anything from the 1980s that you can think of was probably referenced in this book at some point um i think the main one is that the game is really kind of based off of well not based off but there's a lot of different elements but the main action in this book if i remember correctly it's been i will be honest i did not reread this book for this podcast so i'm going off of memory and wikipedia um i believe the main one like he was a big fan of text adventures mm-hmm. so you had dungeons and dragons you had zork i believe there's a dragon section in this as well so a lot of it was just kind of and, and, and it makes sense i mean even in the even in the real world our world a lot of video games a lot of Entertainment is kind of based off of the D and D setup, the pen and paper mm-hmm. RPG classes, and almost choose and almost choose your own adventure type of thing. But but yeah. not in the sense of this book because I'm I'm assuming those detractors from Ready Player One would choose to be like get these references out of here, please. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so it's set up that way, and the world itself is set up. Um, and again, you can see some of this in the trailer if you want to check it out. Uh, it stars Wade Watts, who, you know, has a game. Everybody in here has a name, and then they have an alias, and the alias is usually what they're referred to. Um, his is what, Percival? Parzival. Parzival is the name. Parzival. Uh, his love interest is called Artemis, after the Greek god. His best friend is called H. Yes, I um, I, I could not pronounce that for the, until I heard somebody say it for me, so... Hmm. <laughs> yes, uh, there's an evil corporation. Uh, what is it, the Sixers? Uh, it's IO, it's IO nine, I believe. Um, it's, it's innovative online, innovative online industries, I believe. So IO nine is a website. Yeah. I own it. Yeah. And I I think I know because I read the, no, I was reading the quote from the back of the book and I was like, IO, um, it's like IOI. It's like innovative online industries. Okay. And yes. So basically it is again, set up like a traditional, a very traditional video game. The quest is. I mean, finding like three or four keys within the games that like the the, the game the uh, setup of the book the game world in the book is this oasis which is kind of this breathing secondary world it's like second life it's and within, like, yeah it's basically like with the world ravaged by you know energy crisis it's like a virtual reality has basically become a super drug almost yeah and it, so it's a world within a world and in that world you can do traditional, normal stuff. So, you, like, for example, he goes to school in this virtual reality. Mm. Um, and then there's different games you can play and stuff like that. There's different elements. You can hang out with friends. You can go on dates and stuff like that. So it is, like, you know, I don't know if that game's still around, but it is very much like Second Life. Mm-hmm. So hidden within the game, within this virtual reality, are, I forget if it's three or four keys. but It's, you have it's to, three, it's three. Okay, I figured it was three because that's the common video game trope. There's three keys, and you have to find these three keys. And once you find all three keys, you're on una- you're un- you're able to unlock the final thing, which is the Easter egg. And the first person to collect the Easter egg will inherit the fortunes and control of Oasis. And that is the the, the gist of it. Um, our character when we meet him, he lives in what's called the stacks, which is basically. I guess if you stack trailer parks on top of trailer parks, yeah, it's it's, it's just it's it's trailer parks that have gone that have upgraded of sorts. If you feel like, you know, uh, uh, how would you feel like if a trailer park was actually a bunch of skyscrapers? Yeah, so he yeah, so you know, it's a person. It's a it's a very common trope. It's a person who wants to better their position in life, 
who finds the first key, and then once he finds the first key, because uh, I believe it was kind of assumed to be like a myth, and mm. nobody had found it, he was the first one to find it, and then once he finds it, it kind of kickstarts the whole affair, and then everybody starts looking for it. There's a bunch. There's a bunch of people he's working with, and then there's of course this evil organization that are do- doing it. Like anything, it's kind of like Indiana Jones. They'll find something. Mm-hmm. Then once they discover it, that means that the evil organization has a chance to take a shortcut and get there and find it at the same time, or you know, find it nearby. So they're always kept up to p- pace. Um, things do turn deadly at some point. They actually they attempt to kill him by blowing up the stacks. Mm-hmm. He survives and he goes on the run. They are able to kill one of his friends that he's hunting with. Uh, well, not hunting he, with. There's a group of people who work together, but they're all kind of. They're, they're I, spoiler alert. Well, I mean, well, I'm for people who never really read or whatever going to the movie is that one of their friends is actually killed in the real world. I think like the evil corporation finds out where one of them is, and I believe they find him on. Unc- hook him off the oasis and they throw him out a window yes and i was like the window yeah so that that, that's that's a bit of a gruesome detail there so yeah we we have like you know like you said we we have this world where it is a um ravaged by you know not just a famine but also energy crisis and it's yeah the world has gone to hell and people use essentially you know the oasis is basically their escape and it's almost a bit of a Almost a bit of an allegory to our times right now that we have, you know, and I, I, growing up, I always found video games and even any form of media out there as my escape from the real world. Not essentially my escape from just avoiding the problems of the real world or not trying to solve, but, like, I, you know, I grew up very lonely, and I grew up with very odd mental problems, and, and games and even movies were things where I felt like I belonged. And yeah, even a, when I... And it's a- it's also yeah. a way to escape. I mean, literally for him, it's a way to escape from the, his surroundings. And the kind of, like, I mean, part of it is the energy crisis. So a lot of these people don't get to live normal lives. Mm-hmm. So it's a way for them to, be, like, I mean, because he starts dating somebody in the game. And again, I mean, nowadays, I don't think online dating is anything. It doesn't have a stigma. It's not something uncommon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like at some point, the assumption is that you would meet the person. And part of the mystery of this book is he doesn't really meet Artemis until... The very last chapter in the real mm-hmm. world, um, and that is also a complaint that a lot of people have is the handling of romance in this book. Um, but again, that's something we'll get. I, I don't know if we'll get to that because the focus on this isn't necessarily, if, you know, necessary any scene or plot points, but it is the nature of the crossovers. Is there, but I think, like you said, the romance is not really handled well. But also, the book kind of gives this whole thing of Wade Watts, you know, this. What can I describe it? A the book makes it feel like it's essentially his white male power fantasy, and of course, in today's world right now, I can understand why that's just kind of I want to say taboo, but just like it's tired. It's like it's a tiring kind of thing. Like, oh, we've seen this before, and why isn't something different? And I don't know. And there, there's, there's lots of things like, like you said, when it comes down to the taking the excerpts from the book, one that they'll talk about is Wade, or no, and while they're in the oasis. Um, part Wade as Parzival, he's talking to Artemis, and I think he mentions something about how, oh, how do I know you're a woman, or how can I know you're this guy underneath this? And the the subtext of that is very transphobic, almost. When yes. you when you read it, you're just like, Ugh, that could be handled a little bit better. And I don't know. And then of course, there's another chapter where 
Wade discusses about when he's either studying or going on these quests and how he what I'll just to put it in his PG thirteen his way he describes how he um what he does to relieve himself in between times and he goes into a detail about how famous other artists how they would do to relieve themselves if you get if you catch my dra- my graft here so. <laughs> Yes, I mean, it's not subtle writing. I don't think anybody's going to give it a nod for being anything other than what it is. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I mean, so, shocker to anybody, the hero finds the three keys. He's able to uh, complete the final quest. He decides... He does not reset the game. I think he gives the game to the people. E- yeah, last time, I, I do believe so, if I, if I recall. And, of course, he gets the girl. Like, again, hmm. it's a it's not anything special but one of it, the reason that it kind of excels is because of all the pop cultural references and this is going to be the kind of focus mm-hmm. on for our discussion for the you know the second half of the show it's like okay we've we've acknowledged and set up the fact that it does have a lot of pop cultural references but does having pop cultural references make it a crossover I guess is what we're going to figure out. Um, because, yeah, because, that, that that's a difficult thing to actually discuss. Yeah, but as you're saying. <laughs> yeah, because I I am of two minds of it. The first mind, again, like I said, I want to do this as kind of an antithesis to Captain N, which was the uh, subject of our first episode. Captain N very clearly had characters from Metroid, it had characters from Mega Man, it had ca- characters from Castlevania. But Lo- loose, loosely characters. Let's, let's, let's not for- Yeah, let's not forget a green Mega Man, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, what was it, when the joke, when I, when you see Captain N, when he actually meets him, like, it's like, Simon Belmont? Like, Mega Man? And almost I wanted to say, like, what's the next line? Like, wow, you don't look like anything, like your original designs. <laughs> Yes, as we said in the first episode, it's like somebody who saw who saw the cover of a video game and like oh, I can replicate that no problem. Mm-hmm. Like Mega Man's color is one thing, but the fact that he does not have a Mega Buster is like the big like it's the it's his trademark weapon. How do you not equip him with that? Yeah, it's like they were going way too much on it. Like, no, no, I, I really do feel like they were drawing memory from like the 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 first Mega Man box art. I yeah, know. I think. <laughs> yes, but uh. <laughs> But yes, that but that was very like that was a unique world. That was an original world. That's an original character set in an original universe with popular characters. This is an original world, original characters, uh, an original setting with popular worlds in it. But mm-hmm. does that make it a crossover? Because what is it crossing over with? And I think one of the things, and it's hard to establish rules on the second episode. But I do think one of the rules that's going to help define what a crossover is or isn't on the show is does it say anything new with this property? Does does having a Dungeons and Dragons chapter of this book say anything new about Dungeons and Dragons? Or is it just like, oh, I'm going to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's like if I was to say I'm playing Monopoly, that doesn't mean that I'm crossing over Monopoly. It just means that Monopoly is in the room. Yeah, no, yeah, that's actually a good. That's actually a pretty good um, example there. But um, I, I think to kind of get onto certain like to, to define the word crossover is like I mean a good example would be in the comics world, for instance, where you had like what was it like Batman and the Ninja Turtles actually had a recent comic run together. That was a crossover, correct? Yes, did they do is, that? They're on their third. They're on their third one now. 
Wow, third one, jeez. And that just shows how far I'm bad I'm in. I, I, you're the one who updates me with these comic crossovers. I'm like, wait, that's a thing? And not that I get mad. And not that I get mad, I'm just like, wow, I, I really should check that I should check that out. But I feel like that is essentially its own little cross... That, that's a good example of a crossover. Or even... Well, the it's a matter of, like, when you bring these things together, it has to have a point. And I'm not saying, like, an oh, like at the end oh i learned something today kind of meaning it's a matter of it has a point but it also it kind of says something about both properties in a meta set a meta narrative type of sense and i feel like that's what the book itself kind of failed to do in some ways and um i i i guess what i'm trying to say is when you see people wanting to escape basically the world and realize that the world is crap whatever in you know ready player one is one thing I feel like didn't stick its landing near the ending is that you have your protagonist where you realize, oh, I... It, the message should have been, like, I learned, basically, this, the fact that, like, I have to help outside, whatever, and realize I shouldn't be... Now, nostalgia's fine, but it can be very dangerous to the world itself, and that's where I'm hoping the movie actually kind of provides itself, because, like I said, the main reason why I'm super excited for this is just... It's Steven Spielberg being attached to it, and I feel like if he's able to clear the bar of this right now, yeah, you, we may have to have serious discussions right now of saying, like, yeah, I think this guy is the greatest the greatest director out there of all time. Not to say he isn't, but I feel like it brings up another discussion. Anyway, crossovers, it's just, I like I said, if you take these two properties with their, you're not sure they were meant to be together, but you have to have something that kind of comments on both. You know, like, it, yes. it, 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 so that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I feel like Ready Player One sort of does that, but I, like I said, it doesn't stick its landing. It's just, it's, I, I, it doesn't stick its landing near the end, where I feel like it, giving a, like, a moral of, like, yeah, it's, it's cool to escape, it's cool to have things to escape to, but you have to realize you have to fix what, you have to fix the outside world first. Yes, but the moral of your story is that consuming all pop culture knowledge, it will save your life one day. And I don't necessarily know if that's a good moral or tomorrow, but yeah, like you said, like the, the, the ultimately it's not about him finding out that he was better off with making friends with these people or that he was better off not living in this gang world. It, ultimately, his life was better because he knew all these pop. He, I don't want to say he wasted his time, but he, you know, he consumed stuff. He didn't make friends in the real he, world. He consumed. He, he consumed content, as what we do. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, so one of those things, like I said, again, I could sit here all day and literally just run through a list of everything that this, uh, book makes reference to, that this book pays homage to, that this book quotes or, you know, needs for a shot device, but ultimately, like you said, and I guess we're on the same page with this, is that it doesn't do it doesn't do or say anything new with these properties. It doesn't incorporate them in a way that feels like it's growing the brand. It's just like it's here, we'll do something with it and then we'll move on. And I think and I think that I really do feel like if this came out as a movie first or even a graphic novel first, I feel like the refer- like the the vitriol that we see from it would not be as bad. I really do, because I feel like when you put it into writing, when you are just listing out, oh, here's the Ecto-1, or here's the DeLorean, and basically this from blah, 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 you know, like, 
from Black to the not Back to the Future. Wow, that was a Freudian slip. I um, <laughs> I know it's like yeah, that that gets a bit grating. But I feel like if you have images on screen where it's like, oh, I know what that is. I don't need subtext or anything like that to explain it. I feel like it would do itself better. But then, of course, we live in this world right now where I feel like even if you take any reference to something like, say, sequels now to older properties, whether it's Mad Max or Jurassic Park or even anything like that, that take, or Star Wars, for instance, that nod back to their subtle nods or good nods to their old one, they get criticized for like, oh, wow, it's just, it's nostalgia at it again, or member this, member that. I'm like, is that really a bad thing, though? In, in large doses, it's bad, but in right doses, it can be, you know, and I feel like, though, when in terms, like you said, they don't handle the properties well, that's why I feel like I, this would have been better if it was a movie or book first and not vice versa, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I will say this much. I agree with you, and I've said, I've said as much on Twitter, is that I actually do have faith for the movie mm-hmm. because, like you said, it's much easier to reference something when it's just a visual or just like a nod where it's like, oh, that's Iron Giant. Oh, that's Tracer. Instead of being like, oh, this giant robot. Like the giant robot from from right. Iron Giant. Do you remember that movie that came out in 1999? Mm-hmm. Animated. It's like, yeah, like it's verbose. It's it's grading. It's kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. But if it's just like, oh, oh there's Iron, like, if it's just like a visual nod, if it's just something in the background, much easier. And like, a lot of people are like, oh, I know that movie. Oh, I know that movie. It's much easier. It's, and no, 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 and I, I think I think you're getting off to what um, uh, and I'm on and off with this web series, but or on YouTube channel like um, Red Letter Media. I think what they when they did their Rogue One review, they kind of just mocked you know audience members for saying like, oh, I clapped because I remembered that, and like it got to that point where I'm like, I don't like this backlash. I mean, I, like I understand it can get annoying when people kind of clap at reference it. Like when I saw when I saw Force Awakens. Of course you're going to have people clap when you see Han Solo and Chewbacca come back and scream for the first time in almost 30 years. I sure as hell was. Because, you know what? They're back. But, you, you in in the terms of the movie, though, here, aside from the fact that I... The people behind it, I feel like, can probably do this property well. And I really feel... And plus, if you look back at Spielberg's own you know, filmography, two movies in particular, Jaws and you know Jurassic Park... You compare the, those that sort back to them to their source material in their books; they're wildly different. I mean, I thought you were going with a mention Indiana Jones. No, no, and no, I, not, I not, in, not in a way. No, not I wasn't going. Well, well, I was going to bring up Indiana Jones partially because that is that uh, to me that's Spielberg's understanding. Because Indiana Jones is a related to movies that Spielberg loved as a kid, mm-hmm. a related to like the serials that he grew up with. So if it's somebody who understands like taking properties or taking an idea that you love and kind of modernizing it so it's entertaining and consumable for the general audience, I think it's him. And I think something like Indiana Jones shows that because Indiana Jones feels like its own thing mm-hmm. while very much being in the spirit of the movies that he grew up with. Yeah, the, that's yeah, that's like what him and Lucas kind of came to the description of, like the the agree well not the agreement of is like when. Lucas kind of came up with the idea of this character that he was going to create is that, yeah, it's this homage to these old movie serials in the same way of how Star Wars was, even though when you look at it, Star Wars essentially is this big space western with with wizards. But, um, and I, I think, and it was very wise when it comes to crossovers that Spielberg's actually taking out his own references to his movies, aside from the DeLorean, even though he executive produced Back to the Future, 
And I think his reasoning why is because he didn't want the movie he was directing to be basically a vanity film. That, that That's all he wanted to do, and I kind of agreed with it. So, but, um, but yeah, it, I, I guess to kind of get back in track, whatever you were saying, like, terms of, like, how properties are handled in crossovers is that I think we are on the same page that this isn't necessarily a crossover. It's just homages and callbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... So yeah, I mean, ultimately, like I said, I think we're on the same page, and that this isn't a crossover. Um, it's a mashup. I will give it that. I, That's I, the right I, word for I, it. I, yeah, and I think the other term I was, I think the other thing I was going to make a point of, and this is something that it's very hard to do, is that it has a lot of properties. It has a lot of different properties, and it does nothing interesting with combining them. Like you are playing by the rules in those games or in that movie. Like it's not like okay, we're going to do war games, but this war games, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to play like Donkey Kong or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's going to be this straight text adventure for war games. We're going to quote Monty Python, but we're not going to throw in some obscure reference mm-hmm. from another movie to throw you off. It's like, no, we're going to play this straight. Yeah. And I do think that is a missed opportunity. I understand that, like, you know, you don't necessarily want to mess with it, but part of the appeal of having all these properties is to kind like this is why I have crossovers. It's to do something different mm-hmm. with them instead of just saying like, "Oh yes, yeah, like you know the Batman Ninja Turtles." It's not like okay, this is just Batman and the Ninja Turtles doing a Ninja Turtle story. It's like no, this is a crossover. You got them fighting the Shredder, and the Shredder's bringing the ooze to Gotham, and that's like that's interesting because yeah. it's taking two ideas from two different properties and mashing them up to create something new. Where this is like no, we're just going to play everything that's in here straight. Yeah, and, um, I mean, to put a game in the example of, like, the gaming realm, I mean, <laughs> would you say, um, would you say that, uh, Super Smash Brothers though, is essentially a crossover in its own sense? Well, crossover in the fact that we're getting all these different Nintendo properties together in one for a sole reason. You know, the first, the first game, when you look at it, it was essentially, Master Hand was, like, playing with a toy box, and when you looked at further games, there was always this cosmic realm that actually kind of brought everything together. There was a point to it. You know what I mean? Well, here's the thing. You'll find out in a future episode, because Super Smash Brothers is one of the franchises we're going to cover. Oh, that is a That is a really good question, and one that one of the reasons... It's not, not only am I going to cover Smash Brothers in the future, I'm also going to cover Smash Brothers in different games, because like you said, the first game conceit is different than the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. And even then, you have stuff like the original is different than Melee, and then Brawl is different than the rest. I would say Force Wii U and Force 3DS are very similar at that point, mm-hmm. but Brawl's conceit is like it is a crossover because there's an actual story where all these universes collide. Mm-hmm. But like the first, the first game's conceit is that these are action figures, so these aren't necessarily these characters you grew up with. These are it's like a child playing with toys. Like if I have like okay, let's be honest, I did. If you had G.I. Joe's and Ninja Turtles toys as a kid, that's not considered a crossover because it's in your head. Mm. But it's what you did. <laughs> I, I, I feel I feel like the reference. I feel like the crossover that we. I mean, I'm sure you'll probably cover this in an episode as well. It's like, and we all remember watching this when we were kids. Is the cartoon All Stars PSA? So there's a okay. reason why there's there's a reason why those things are together. Okay, just as a little peek behind the curtain, 
one of the reasons I was interested in this whole concept, because it's actually a concept I started on the website first, but I thought it would make an interesting podcast, was because I do love Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue. <laughs> Though, to the po- to, get, to get back on the subject of Ready Player One, the message of Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue is actually really messed up as an adult, because the message is essentially, get high, and all your favorite characters will come visit you. <laughs> I, I know my. I think the messaging I got from like when I looked at older was like, all my car- favorite cartoon characters are narcs. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that's what I got from it. And you know, well, the giant smoke, the little smoke monsters, voiced by George, the late George C. Scott. And I don't know. It's like when I look at his adult when he just says, "Hey, don't mind him. I make him feel good." And I'm just like, works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, but we will cover that in the future. <laughs> so I guess to uh, begin wrapping up, like we're in agreement, this is not a crossover, um, not a crossover. So mark it down, episode two. We're already going off the rails. Ready Player One it is not, not a, crossover. a crossover. It is not a crossover. It's a divisive book, and it's in uh, like in full of nostalgia, but it is not a crossover. Now, I, I, it, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm actually really curious to see the movie. Because even though we don't consider this a crossover, there is potential for the movie to be a crossover, depending on what it does. Because it seems like it is playing with those properties a lot more free than the book is. So I'm really curious to revisit that in a few weeks. Yes, and it, like I said, I, like I saw a featurette for it in the beginning, like uh, a featurette for it. And um, and yeah, it can seem a little bit manipulating when you look at it, whatever. But again, when you read it, you're just like, because uh, it's a giant, the whole thing's a giant, the movie itself, a giant toy box. That's really what I'm getting at. It's a matter yeah. if it's a matter if they can be differentiate itself from the book to give a better moral at the end or meaning, you know. Because, but also it's like I'm I'm just I'm just glad to see a fun Spielberg movie. Not to say he hasn't done any bad movies in the past, like in the past decade or so. Well, War Horse was not that really good, but it's nice to see a fun Spielberg movie that is for the, in a long while. So. Uh, I am still working on the names for these segments, but that's part of a crossover juncture. Um, this is, you know, kind of a question of the week. Uh, whatever we want to, like a game or anything we want to recommend. So my question to you, even though we spent, I spent the last 45 minutes kind of hammering this uh, book home. If you were to create <laughs> your ideal Ready Player One, what decade would you set it in? And what would be the main focus of the properties you would approach from? Like, would you steal from video games? Would you steal from cartoons? Would you steal from movies? See, yeah, you gave me these notes, but I was like, that was one thing I was pondering on for so long, and I would, who it just feels like we've, we've, we've just kind of fracked almost the entire 80s of pop culture right now, that there's almost, like, nothing left, and now we're just beginning to get everything else left out of the, um... 90s right now those next and i'm thinking like okay when are the aughts next because i don't know like when i was watching the movie ladybird for instance i felt myself like is it really strange that i'm watching a period piece from 2003 but that's <laughs> that's beside that's beside the point is that if i had to set some decade though um ooh, it's a good one um I, I feel like 90s do get a bit of a bad rap in terms of things that come through there but i would really like to see something set in there but also you're in that same timeline of the, you know, I feel like I'm about to describe cartoon all-stars again when I mentioned about drugs and trafficking and <laughs> stuff like that. But no, it's just, I feel like that would be a good placement to actually kind of dig things up because, but also kind of look at the 90s when you, I mean, we got some good stuff out of it, but when you kind of look 
back at it in terms of like music or even sometimes in movies almost. There were some good movies that come out there. It's just that it was loaded with a lot of crap. It really was. I mean, it, it, it just, it was, it was the remnants of that 80, the 80s style, but I wouldn't say it had a hard time trying to identify itself because that time it was the extreme kind of level of like of advertising that we'd see from things. So it'd be nice to kind of a narrative to kind of poke fun at that. Poke fun at it, and it's fun to kind of deal with it, but it's just, yeah, that that's what I want to do. I, I, I Again, as a child of the 90s, I, as much as I love from things out there, I would like to kind of look down there, but also celebrating it, but also poking fun at it. That's kind of what I want to get at it. Okay. Um, as for me, um, again, as much as I beat up on this book, I would still mind the 80s, but my focus, personally, would be on 80s animation. Mm. Um which is odd because if you know me, you know that the bulk of my actual animation love is from the 90s. But I think the 80s were just like a time period where like, we'll make a cartoon out of anything and we'll just see what it goes with. Transformers, G.I. Joe, Centaurians, Ninja Turtles. Inhumanoids. Um, Inhumanoids. You remember that one? Mask. Um, Silverhawks. Like, you name it. They were like, sure, that sounds like an idea. We'll go for it and we'll try it. So, like, just going through that, like, that anthology and cartoons made in the 80s and pulling out properties and pulling out ideas and pulling out stories from that and turning that into, like, I don't know what it would be. I mean, it wouldn't be an animated thing. Like, maybe it would be a comic book or maybe it would be mm-hmm. something out. Or maybe even a video game. Like, it would be interesting to kind of go through all these different game, like, all these uh, cartoon worlds in a different, in, in, in a different medium. But, yeah, that would be my thing. It's, like... Mining all the eighty cartoon properties for something new. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, and I, I think like something for animation style to look at. I mean, because the main crooks of all those eighties cartoons, and you look at it, is like it was built around to sell toys and not around to like, hey, let's get a story out here and then follow the toys later. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's one it's one thing people fail to realize when you look at when you take the rose tinted glasses off and look at say the eighty seven Ninja Turtles series, you know, and, and I grew up with that, but. A lot of it's not that good, but it, you have to realize, yeah, they they revolved the storylines around the toys, and it wasn't until I, yeah, I, I would have to say it wasn't until like say Batman the Animated Series, um, Animaniacs, or even Tiny Toons that actually kind of broke that trend of kid shows where it's like um, these don't have to be revolved around selling toys. It can yeah. be very compelling, and it, it is fascinating to look at animation back then because of how inconsistent some things can get. I mean, and also it's fun to kind of look at like the opening segment of these shows and like, wow, this is going to be so awesome. It pumps you up and you're like, it's not like it. (laughs) Yeah. That's not like what I expected. It's like when you watch Thundercats, you're like, this looks so great. I can't wait to jump into this. Like, (laughs) and downgrade. I did. Um, a lot of them spent more time on the resources of their opening animation than they did in the actual animation. One of my favorites um, is sometimes, like, when it shows that are imported either way, either from, like, anime that's imported to America or, or American cartoons that's imported to other countries, when they redo the entrance, and you can, like, the X-Men animated series, the Japanese entrance has some fantastic animation. Oh, it's so good. That looks nothing at all like the cartoon that follows at all. And Dragon Ball Z is very similar as well, where the opening's very nice, does not really necessarily match the style of the animation in the cartoon you're about to watch. Mm. So, so yes. Um, I guess final thoughts and recommendations. 
on Ready oh. Player One. Oh, oh, like recommendations on uh, on. Well, the... like, do you recommend the book? Um. Okay. My 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 final thoughts, basically, on the book is that okay. I understand. If you don't like it, that's fine. If you like it, that's good. It just I'm not gonna do- I'm not gonna dog on people who actually like it, like who like it, especially out there. Like I I posted on Facebook for like my my Facebook page once about how. I can understand that this has become the internet's punching bag, it seems like, and then a girl that really liked the book chimed in and said, like, what are the, what's the internet saying about this? And I kind of said, it was this, 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 that we just kind of discussed, and, you know, the, and she was, I wouldn't say appalled by it, but she understood, she understood the fact, like, or she was, like, on a little bit confused, thinking, like, why people would say that, and I can understand the hatred towards it, and why it just feels like, but to me, after reading it, I'm like, in the end, it's it's disposable. It's disposable pulp. Do I want to read it again? Probably not. And as far as recommendation, well, that's tricky. Um, unless you, once the movie comes out, I'll, I'll recommend that because I feel like there's very rare an opportunity where I feel like, well, let's just say not the case of this book. There's only like two adaptations in movie history that I really feel like are equal to the book, and that's The Green Mile and The Martian. I really feel like those are the two movie to book or book to movie adaptations that just freaking were just flawless when it comes to telling the stories, even if they had to cut corners here. But recommendation, it's up in the air. It, it all depends to me. I feel like I would just check out the movie first. Really, I feel like because when you're getting out of the book, yeah, it, it it tickles your nostalgia bone a little bit more. But it just, I don't know. There, there's there's so much where you can see where you describe one thing from the '80s to a point where you're just like. Okay, I get it. I get it. Can we move on <laughs> the story? Hmm. But I don't regret reading it. I don't. So hmm. there you go. Um, I've made no bones about it. I think I've said it a dozen times now. I'm not a fan of this book. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a great book. I don't necessarily think it's a great story. Like I said, the story, the setup is very generic. It's a like it's, it's a it's a video game. It's finding three keys open the thing, there's a final boss and everything. There's nothing clever, there's no real twist to it. Uh, that said, I would kind of recommend checking it out. Uh, not in the sense that, oh my gosh, there's a book you need to read, but again, it's been a kind of pop cultural phenomenon for almost a decade, and mm-hmm. with the movie coming out, like it's like sometimes it's good to just kind of be knowledgeable about something that is so massive in the world around you. Mm-hmm. And I understand that it's not always, you know, it's not always possible for one reason or another, but it is, it always helps to kind of be knowledgeable of something like this. But to Harrison's point, and, I, you know, I kind of agree, you can also kind of wait. The movie's out in the next six weeks. Um, and I, I at that point, I'm almost certain people are either going to tell you, oh, watch the movie, ignore the book. Or ignore the movie, read the book. <laughs> or or ignore altogether because I yeah. you know there's a contingent of people saying like I hope this movie bombs and I'm like okay just yeah th- so yeah come on mm. yes so you don't have to worry about that okay so uh, that is Ready Player One I want to thank Harrison for joining us but before we go is there anything you want to tell these kind folks. Uh, uh, sort of anything, yes. Um, aside from me, aside from me and Earl just kind of jabbing back and forth, little uh, pop culture references and just random things about the world of comics, movies, and games and real life events. Um, you can find me on Twitter at h milfeld, and uh, I write over. I have my own little video game podcast called Nintendo Voice, and we are a weekly Nintendo centered podcast, and 
Um, I've been doing that with two friends over in the UK right now, and we're coming up on our third year of the podcast soon. And aside from that, I also write and review games for PureNintendo.com. So, like I said, I'm a huge Nintendo fan, and even Earl himself, big gaming fan, but we do love the company a lot, and so um, that's where you can find me out there. So, um, other than that, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door that's outside of my comfort zone, but also writing, because I'm... Uh, I don't know, but if everybody knows, I'm a journalism grad, and let's just say, market out there for those type of jobs are not very good. <laughs> <laughs> As for me, you can find me at ER underscore N-O-T-R. Um, the N-O-T-R stands for Nerds on the Rocks, which is the website you can find this podcast and many other features that I do on a, let's say on a basis. I'm not going to pretend it's the OUR wiki at this point. It, sometimes I write stuff, sometimes I don't. It depends on how my mood goes. I, too, am looking for a job if anybody has any offers. Um, but, yes, thank you for joining us. And until our next departure, this has been the Crossover Connections Episode 2 for Ready Player One.